Good morning again. Said to Greg as I walked by, is this the sermon time? <laughs> this would be a good time to stand up then. If I have not met you previously, my name is Bob Wood, and I am thrilled to get a chance to preach here at Redwood Christian Church this morning. I've done it a few times over the years, and it's nice to be here again. The only time anybody has ever applauded <laughs> is before I preach. Or the two times in 45 years that I've actually finished on time. That usually gets an applause as well. Um, in fact, I was going to do this. This is not for you. This is just for me. I'm going to set my timer. Because <laughs> ah. I'm hungry and I want to make sure I get to lunch uh, at some point. Bob and Sherry. She, my wife Sherry and I were here for many years uh, part of Redwood. The last 19 years, we have run what's called Oregon Christian Evangelistic Fellowship, or OCEF Church Planters, which is the group that planted this church in 1977. Um, we were here as pastors from 89 till 04. It's been just a couple of years. We were reminiscing coming down this morning that uh, we had only been married for 11 and a half years when we came here, and and stayed married anyway, even though we were here. And, and now it's been 45 years. And I, I laughed because I, I've done so... Yeah, that's worth applauding Sherry for. And uh, thank you for that, Sherry. Um, I was thinking about people that have their 50th wedding anniversaries and how many of those I've been a part of. And they're all old people. <laughs> And I are one. And that, that goes against what most of you thought that knew me from 1989 on. He'll never make it to age 45. <laughs> anyway, I did. This morning I have a, a great topic. As you know, if you've been here a few weeks, we have been doing a series on boundaries. Various boundaries. This Tuesday is February 14th. Very significant day for Hallmark. It's Valentine's Day, if, if you didn't know. And so we're going to do boundaries in marriage. Boundaries in marriage. Now I'm going to tell you, a lot of you are not married yet. Some used to be, some are not now, some of you are, some of you wish you weren't. Never mind, we won't go. The, the fact is, just having a topic like boundaries in marriage may not apply to everyone, but let me assure you, this applies to everyone who's ever been in a relationship even if that relationship, and especially if that relationship is with God through Jesus. And so I will get to that to the conclusion, but I do want to talk about boundaries in marriage and relationships. So again, if you're not currently married, I want you to listen anyway and, and see how this would apply to relationships with your neighbors or coworkers or kids or grandparents, whoever. See John and Stella back there talking about weddings that we've done together. I gotta, uh, I'll say this now, in case I don't, I, if I run out of time, I've got to say this. When John and Stella got married, they had gone through our 101 class, and they said, you know, before we make a covenant with each other, we need to sign a covenant with God at baptism. That was really significant in my thinking. And, and so they invited the family in for a wedding, but 
I have pictures that you gave me a picture of baptizing the two of you right here, then went and got changed, and then we had a wedding. I'll tell you what, wouldn't that be sweet if more, more people had that in their minds? That was very powerful. Congratulations again. How many years has it been? 21 years. Wow. And they said it never lasts. <laughs> Nobody actually said that ever to them. Boundaries in marriage. Let me get right to them because this is something that nobody ever talked to us about. We've had to feel our way through this. What are the boundaries? Should there be boundaries? The answer is yes. You need boundaries in every relationship. And they, but this one thing I have learned. In marriage, as well as other relationships, they change. Your boundaries will change. The things that you're willing to accept or not accept will change. And so I, I've done a lot of homework here, and I, I really don't like this sermon at all, because I, I kept preaching at me, not you, and I, that's uncomfortable. A boundary in marriage is the line, or the limit rather, of what a person is willing to accept or not accept. What are you willing to accept from another person? What are you not willing to accept, and how do you line that out? Uh, for example, let me give you a few areas. And I'm not going to, you, you can unpack most of these yourselves. If you need help, ask somebody that's been married for 46 years. They'll, ha they'll have it all figured out. But here are some areas you want to draw some boundaries in. In-laws <laughs> and family dynamics. How often do we have to see them? How long do they have to stay? I mean, you can make up your own, but they're, they're, how much do we tell them of what's going on in our marriage, <laughs> and how much do we not tell them? Oftentimes in premarital uh, counseling, I will, I will say to the couple, and this is often to the bride, when you get mad at your husband, who, who are you going to go tell? Often it's your mother. Well, you go to her about three times with what a jerk he is by the fourth time. Now, the problem is you usually make up in between. You make up, and then he's fine, and then something else happens. If you only tell your mother the bad stuff, about the fourth time you go to her, she'll say, I don't know why you're still married to that jerk. <laughs> and then you'll say, oh, she must see something I don't. No, she only sees what you tell her. Draw some boundaries of what you will tell other people, and one of those boundaries on a positive might be if you do tell somebody ne something negative about your spouse, when you make up, you got to remember who you said something negative to so you can go back and say, oh, by the way, we made up. I totally misunderstood the whatever, I don't know. But how you deal with in-laws or family, that, there's some boundaries. Personal privacy is another area, and that would have to agree, uh, well, this was... I read this somewhere and I'd laugh because agreeing to not go through your spouse's phone is a boundary some people set. Can I set a better boundary for you if you are a loving, godly, married couples? Agree to go through each other's phone and hold each other accountable. That did, I didn't find that in any literature I read. I'm just telling you, you want a good marriage? Don't keep secrets. Just be open and say, hey, I'm struggling in this area or whatever it might be. So it could be, in, but there are times that you need privacy. Uh, there may be times that you don't share everything from your past. It's irrelevant. But you have to draw those boundaries. And w Sherry and I, we laughed in preparation for this because our boundaries have changed. Because we've changed. Our needs have changed. 
We as people have changed. Here's another area, communication. I think there should be, and may you decide for yourself, but zero tolerance, zero tolerance for shouting or name-calling. That, see, that's a boundary that you communicate with each other. We're not going to do that. Another way, uh, or speaking to each other in a soft but condescending voice. <laughs> that's not good, by the way. I'm just, just saying. You draw a boundary. And, and we'll talk about what happens when you violate the boundaries because we are human, but let's keep going here. Uh, autonomy. The freedom to make your own decisions, work towards your own personal goals, and maintain friendships even outside the marriage. That, that autonomy. Now, I've got to tell you, the generation just older than me <laughs> are mostly dead, but... <laughs> It's weird. But not all. And I fall almost into this. But I'm picking on my parents who have gone home to be with the Lord. And I am grateful to know I get to see them again. But I've got to tell you something here about a, a, this autonomy, making your own decisions. The generation before mine, it's the man's right to make all the decisions. And it's the wife's job to l like it. <laughs> Some of you who are older and been around a while know my mom and dad. They were here for a time. And I just laugh. I think back to the, and I wasn't going to flesh out all this, but I got to tell you, I remember as a kid, my dad, after we remodeled the house, dad went out and bought new furniture, and we didn't have the money. He went into debt and bought new furniture without my mother knowing about it. Now, there's two problems with that. Debt. And you just bought furniture for my house that I didn't get to approve? Oh, yeah. <laughs> and because my mother was such a quiet and passive soul, who, who I am just like, dad was still bearing the bruises and the, and the attacks. The day we put him in the nursing home, I believe she said, and don't buy any furniture when you get in there. I think it was still an issue. 50 years later. <laughs> you think, Ed's laughing, he knows I'm not joking. The reality is, though, draw those boundaries. What can you do? When Sherry and I were young, we could spend <laughs> $20 without telling the other one. You know, as we got older and very wealthy, it went to 50 <laughs> or whatever. We communicated those things, but there should, you know, I need to be able to stash some cash because... I have a golf club addiction, and she doesn't want to know how many. She just knows if I die first, which friend to call so we get top price for what she has to sell or whatever it is. But draw those lines. Here's another one, physical space. For example, there should be zero, zero tolerance for violence. But, you know, violence comes in different forms, and you need to be able to work through this. Draw your boundaries. There are some people that would never hit another individual, but they might throw things just as scary. Oftentimes that, that, that can also be verbal. There should be boundaries and consequences if those boundaries are not kept. We'll get to that later. Money um, is always an issue. Not hiding money. Oh, I wasn't going to say this, but I'm going to say it anyway. There's a, uh, 
because I can't help myself. It just starts coming. We've worked with so many uh, family members and friends and others who, and Sherry was a banker. And you always knew who was about ready to get a divorce when you saw somebody come in and clean out the family account and put it in a private account. Draw some boundaries. Is that acceptable? It's not to us. I mean, Sherry has always said, I think our wedding, I think part of our wedding vow, she says, what's yours is mine and what's mine is mine. And so we, we, have, we have lived with that as a part of our boundaries, and it's worked really well for us, but you need to draw yours. I, I could go into home life. What are your expectations on, on parenting if you have kids or household chores? Or what are, what are you going to do for quality time together? These are things you talk about ahead of time. Relationship rules, uh, the ex expectation of loyalty, fidelity, trust, etc. What do you expect? Now, I'm, as I get into this, I have to tell you, a lot of people don't even talk about this stuff. They assume their boundaries are in place, but they've not talked about it. They've not written anything down. And so all of a sudden, one partner or the other, and this wouldn't have to be in marriage alone, this could be in just any relationship, all of a sudden somebody's angry because our boundaries have been violated when the other person doesn't know what the boundaries are. It's good to lay those out and, and uh, make sure you know. Well, let me tell you that when we do weddings, anybody ever go to a wedding? You know, there's that section called the vow. These are our vows. In part, these are our boundaries. Now, when I do wedding counseling, and by the way, Kim, did you get that copy? Did Michael give you that copy? Okay. I had the privilege of doing Elizabeth and Tyler's wedding. Oh, oh, sure. But then they heard I was preaching, so they didn't come. All right. Well, fine. Are they? Uh oh. When I did their wedding, I, I write out what I'm going to say, I, and I write it all down because I learned if I don't write things down, a wedding can become four hours real quick with me talking. So I write it down. It takes 12 minutes. I just go through it. But we had a wonderful time. I, when I left Redwood in 2004, I'd done over 500 weddings and over 500 funerals, but have not done hardly any since then. But we were in between pastors or something, and so I, I did have a chance. And when Elizabeth called, I said, how can I say no to a girl who I still have her graduation picture on my refrigerator? So, you know, it's like, okay. But it, when we went through the vows, one of the assignments that I give all couples is I say, here's the vows I'm going to use. You know what they are in sickness and in health and poverty is in wealth and the bad that may darken our days and the good that will lighten our ways. To be true to you in all things until we're dead or however that goes. And, but those aren't really your vows. They sound good for a wedding. But I ask every couple, I give them a couple of homework assignments, and one is to go home and write a love letter to each other. And every time, 500 plus times, the bride goes, oh, that's so nice. And the guy's looking at me like, what? <laughs> what? So I have to explain, all right? What are you promising? Put it in a letter. You can make it nice, but what are you promising? Are you going to fool around with somebody? Are you going to have an affair? You know, catch them right before they're married. They always say, oh, no. 
Don't catch them later on. They might have a different answer. But right then, they're going to say no. And so you put it in letter form. Put Write it out. I'm not going to have an affair. I'm going to love you. If you get sick, I will be there for you. I'll take the garbage out. <laughs> I won't wash the dishes, but I'll watch you. What? No. never. <laughs> Whatever the promises are, you put them down. Put that. And then I said, and then on your wedding night, get this, on your wedding night, read those to each other. What am I asking them to do? Draw boundaries. Put them in place. Then I ask them to go back on their first, their fifth, their tenth, and pull those. I, I ask the bride if she would put those somewhere safe, because the guy's going to lose them. <laughs> I'm sorry. I would have lost them. But you put them in a safety deposit box, whatever you got to do, and you pull those back out and rewrite them periodically, because I promise you, what you love and appreciate and the boundaries you need at year 10 are different than year one. And they are different again at year 45. Now I can tell you in all honesty, and this is weird to say out loud in public, I thought I knew what love was when I got married. I didn't have a clue. <laughs> 10 years. 15, we about gave up the marriage. 25, I almost killed her. Just, I'd like to tell you I'm making all that up, but that's, at 45, it has never been better. I can hardly wait till 65 years of marriage. <laughs> eh? <laughs> Why? Because we kept our boundaries. Oh, we made lots of mistakes, or at least I did. But we kept coming back. You. Make those boundaries. Let me run through just a few things quickly. I'm not going to spend a lot of time on this, but I want to give you four areas, uh, four ways to set and respect boundaries, not only with a spouse, but you could do this with anybody. You get this? Number one is use clear communication. Quit assuming they know what your boundaries are. Say what they are. You know, it could be something as, I, I, please don't speed when I'm a passenger in the car. What was it for your family? If, if you didn't put on a seatbelt, you owed somebody ice cream. There's boundaries, and you, you make those verbal. I, I think it's a good idea to write them down. Now, some of you remember, you're very verbal. You remember. Some of us need it written down so that we can go back and say, what was that? Oh, yeah, I remember it. Give me a list. I'll get it done, right? That's just the reality of who we are. And there's many other things, but use clear communication on what your boundaries are going to be. And uh, one of the boundaries when I was a kid, uh, my parents had was dad needed a half hour after he got home from work that we would leave him alone. He needed a half hour to chill out and get work off of his head. Now that was the rule, but for some reason dad did not abide by his own boundary. As, it, as I reflect back, he'd get home and I know I've got to leave dad alone for a half hour. And the first thing he says, you want to play ping pong? You want to play catch? Let's throw the frisbee for the dog. Almost always, first thing you wanted to do was not think about anything, and that was one way he could use to not think. But our boundary was leave him alone, let him cool down after work, and then we'll make his life miserable, whatever we did as kids. Good communication. Number two, set clear consequences when you blow it. Here's, there's no reason to have boundaries if there's no consequences right? In fact, if you don't respect your boundaries, why should anybody else? 
And so I was thinking through that, how to set clear consequences. If you, have, if you have a boundary that says we will not raise our voice at each other when we're in discussion, and somebody raises their voice, maybe a consequence could be that you both agree on, time out. I'm going for a 30-minute walk. Better yet, you go for a 30-minute walk and cool down. But somehow there needs to be a time out. I'm not telling you what your consequences should be. I'm just saying that works for some people. When the Bible says, don't let the sun go down on your wrath, on your anger, work it out before you go to bed, there's been weeks that Sherry and I have not had sleep for a week and a half. <laughs> I'm, I'm making that up. It's, we've not always been really good at that. I'm really quick. I think fast. I can work through things fast. It's done. Sherry is a processor. There's been some boundaries for us to learn. <laughs> I have to learn to, sh oh, I almost said shut up. Shouldn't say shut up, you know, when you're at church. So I need to learn when to be quiet and let her process, and she needs to not know where the guns are in the, <laughs> in the house. That's just a rule for us. But come up with your own clear consequences and be fair. Be fair. Now, this could be with even a neighbor. What are the boundaries? What are the consequences? Consequences aren't always bad. Sometimes they're good. You speak kindly to each other. You'll probably be treated kindly. There's a consequence of treating each other well. But also, thirdly, I want to say, take responsibility for when you screw up. We're all going to make mistakes. We're, we're, we set our boundaries. We mean well. And then, well, that one slipped through or whatever. Take responsibility. Say you're sorry. But don't just say you're sorry. Change something. It's one thing to say, oh, I'm sorry. What's the terminology now that you can use? <laughs> My bad. Yeah, it doesn't make any sense, but I use it all the time because it's, it's less painful as going, I was wrong. I'm at error. That was my fault. It's just easier to say, my bad, and then go on. But take responsibility when it's on you. It's a part of putting your boundaries in right perspective in a marriage. And the fourth thing I put down is when necessary, and often it is necessary and we ignore it, seek help. Now, there are professionals, there's, there's family and marriage counselors or therapists, there's other kinds of professionals, but sometimes you just need to find another couple who's been there. Find somebody else who's been there. Remember 2 Corinthians, the first chapter, verses 3 and 4, blessed be the God of all comfort, who comforts us in our every affliction so that we can comfort others with the comfort that we ourselves were given. When we're going through some of our hardest times in marriage and boundaries were not being met, who did we need to talk to? Well, you say a counselor, maybe. Maybe that's where you can get a different perspective. I'm for that. But sometimes it was just talking to another couple who'd been there and said, here's how we got through it. Actually, that really resonated with us. And we have passed that on to others as well. Here's how we got through it. So don't be afraid to seek help. And even, I would suggest that before all the wheels fall off your relationship. It's probably good a little ahead of time to say, hey, how are you guys working through this? All right, all of this boundaries talk is just talk. What does God think about boundaries? What does the Bible say about having proper relationships? And I was really 
One of my favorite topics, because I don't think you can understand fully any passage of Scripture unless you first ask, under which covenant was this spoken? You start there. Is this an Old Testament, an Old Covenant between God and the Israelites, or is this a New Covenant? Is this a, a between God and those who believe in Jesus moment? And aren't you glad you're not under the Old Testament? I am glad that it was fulfilled in Christ when He died, was buried, and rose from the dead. According to Jesus, you need a scripture for that, it's Luke 24, 44-48, where Jesus said, the entire Old Testament is fulfilled there. I am grateful. But it doesn't mean that we don't have boundaries in this new covenant. We do. But if you don't understand covenant, it's hard to understand even marriage because marriage is a covenant. What you do at work, you have a job. You're in a covenant relationship. In fact, being a Christian is in a covenant relationship with God. Every covenant, especially biblical covenants, but if you haven't written this down in the past, write it down. Every biblical covenant has three things. Parties, terms, and promises. That goes right down to the bank when you borrow money for a car. The parties are you and the bank. The terms are they're going to put money up front. And what are, what are your terms? What do you have to do? Make a payment. What are the promises? If you keep all the payments, you get the title. Of course, the car's not worth anything by then, but that's a, that's, 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 different. that's a whole different lecture. All right, but... If you keep the payments, if you keep the terms, you get the promises, uh, the promise of the car is yours, the title is yours. What if you do not keep the terms? They make you another promise. And isn't it interesting? The bank makes that promise with a smile also, and we'll repo the car. <laughs> you have positive and negative promises. Same in Scripture, same in our relationship with God. And that's critically important to remember your terms could be considered boundaries but it's those promises consequences that we often talk about let me give you a scripture it's in john 15 verses 13 and 14 if you've been in church a few times you might have heard this one already but we often don't get verse 14 i want to get both these verses jesus said no greater love is there than this then one would lay down his life for his friends. And then he said, you are my friends if you keep my commands. What's he, that, that, if you can't think within covenant boundaries, that doesn't make any sense at all. But it makes total sense in a covenant where you're in a relationship with God where there's parties, terms, and promises. What are the terms? Well, obviously the terms are keeping his commands. Which commands? Well, I, I get a kick out of people. At times, they just make up their own commands. It's, it's like having your own boundaries. It's like being in a marriage and then deciding, I'll make up your boundaries for you. And you're going to like it. That's not how this works. In a covenant relationship, he has laid out, God has laid out what his boundaries are going to be. What, what are those terms? Before I get to it, I want to talk about, well, I will just say it, loving God and loving others. But we've messed that one up so bad we don't have a clue what it means. We look at the word love like it's somehow what we feel. And I feel good about you. 
I don't know if you feel good about me at this moment, talking about marriage and boundaries, but I feel good. I love you. I just love you. I'll tell you what. How do I say this? God is less concerned with how you feel and more concerned with what you do. And how do I know that? Because the word love that's translated, there's, two, there's four Greek words. I'm not going to give you the whole Greek lesson. Only two are used in the Bible. One is the word phileo. We get the word Philadelphia. Delphos is brother, phil, brotherly love. Phileo. It means how you feel. It's that emotion. We, we like that emotion, don't we? I do. I like to feel good. I like to know that Sherry feels good about me once in a while. But let me tell you, how you feel is not going to save your marriage. Because there's times we don't feel good about each other. <laughs> Karen, you're with me on this one? <laughs> We're, we, those that have been married a while know that we do not base our marriage on how we feel. We make it on a commitment. And the word agape, love, is not how you feel. It is a commitment to work for the success of your covenanted partner. Regardless of how you feel. Let me give you a quick illustration. Jesus rose from the dead. The boys are out fishing. They come back to the shore. Peter actually swims to the shore. And Jesus has got breakfast cooking. And he says to Peter, who had denied him three times. Now this is where people get confused. Peter, do you love me? He says, I love you. Jesus said, but do you love me? He says, I love you. And finally Jesus says, but do you love me? He says, you know I love you. And we're reading that in the English going, well, he must have asked him three times if he loves him, because he denied him three times. Baloney. See, I caught myself right there, John. Baloney. If that were the case, you know why they call it eternity? Because I'm going to be spending my entire eternity trying to make up for all the rotten things I said about God earlier in life, or whatever. That isn't how Jesus works. That's not how God works. Jesus said, Peter. Now this word agape was more of a legal word at the time. I don't think Peter got it. It's, will you work for my success in this covenant? Will you keep the terms? That's a long way to say it. See, do you agape me? And Peter said, oh Lord, I phileo you. <laughs> I'm sorry, this cracks me up. And so Jesus said, okay, tend my, tend my, she my sheep. And then Jesus said, but Peter, do you agape me? Oh Jesus, you know I phileo you. What's he say? Will you work for my success? I feel good about you. I, I'm having warm fuzzies at this moment. I don't know. Use your own terminology. And finally, Jesus said, well, he said, tend my lambs. Okay, tend my lambs. But Peter, do you even phileo me? Lord, you know I phileo you. You read it in the context that it was written, and I'm not feeling, if I were Peter, I'm not feeling really good about things right now. But Jesus is making a point. If you love me, you will keep my commands. We learned in marriage, and if you want to put this in marriage boundaries or somewhere else, if you do what is right, you'll feel good about it later. And I want to know, let's go back to that. Love God and love others. Do you know you can love others and still go to hell? But it is impossible to love God and not love others. On his behalf. And if you hadn't thought through that one, let that marinate for a while and take it home with you and 
wrestle through that through the Super Bowl that nobody loves. <laughs> I don't have a dog in the fight. I, I love both teams. So, let me give you a, one more quote and then a scripture to back it all up. You've heard it takes two to tango. It only takes one to breach a covenant. But I believe that with agape love, by the way, the Hebrew word for that is chesed. I usually don't use it because I have to spit on the first three rows to say it correctly with the guttural sound. But this chesed is I will work for your success even when you're screwing up. Now, it can only go on so long. Well, I could use illustration after illustration of someone who has just violated a boundary, but that partner came to their rescue and said, let's try again. Let's try again. I love that term. See, a covenant partner, once you understand boundaries and consequences, we need people to come to our rescue. And that's what Jesus did. Philippians 2, verses 1 through 5. You've heard this the last couple of weeks as our preachers have been uh, using this as one of the passages. But I so often we start with verse 5, which says, Have this attitude in yourselves, which was also in Christ Jesus, who, although he was in the form of God, did not regard, regard, regard equality with God something to be grasped. But And we go on. But I want you to know that verse 5 is actually the conclusion to verses 1 through 4. And that's what we've got up here. Let me read that with you. Therefore, if there's any encouragement in Christ, my translation may be different because I've used this so many times in, in weddings that I get lost and I just quote it however I want. So endure. Therefore, if, oh, and the if that's being used here, I love this about the original language. This isn't an if that goes, well, I hope it's true. This is the if. It's interesting, in the Greek language, this is the if that says, you know this is true. This is a fact. That's the word that's being used there. We translate it if as if we were wondering, but it isn't. Therefore, if, or it is a fact, there, if, there's any consola- if there's any encouragement in Christ, if there's any consolation of love, if there's any fellowship of the Spirit, if there's any affection and compassion... And what he's saying is, there are all those things in Christ. Make my joy complete by being of the same mind, maintaining the same love, united in spirit, intent on one purpose. Let me stop there just briefly. You want to set boundaries so that you can have a great marriage? Take a look at those things. Have encouragement in Christ. Consolation of love, fellowship of the Spirit, affection and compassion. But get this, you make His love, His joy rather, complete by being of the same mind, maintaining the same love in Christ, being intent on one purpose. It is amazing how many crises we can get through when we're going the same direction for the same reason. And let me tell you, brothers and sisters of mine, in Jesus, we have one purpose. Do we not? This is called the body of Christ. We are to carry out the purpose of Christ, which was seeking and saving the lost. And the tool he gave us to use, besides agape love, is making disciples who make disciples who make disciples. We came here 33 and a half years ago. (laughs) That's how long Jesus lived in the flesh. Isn't that weird? 
Here's another weird term for 33 and a half years. If I would have brought one person to Christ every year, made one disciple a year who would do the same. So one becomes two, which becomes four, which becomes eight. You follow? 16, 32, 64. My math just ran out. <laughs> Go home and figure that out. Do you know 33 and a half years, you've won everybody on the planet. Seven and a half billion people to Christ if we just made one disciple a year who would do the same, who would do the same, who would do the same. Therefore, what I'm standing here in all guilt is to tell you the reason the world's going to hell is my fault. And yours. <laughs> I'm not taking this, not going down alone on this one. But we can make a difference today. Be of one purpose do nothing from selfishness or empty conceit. Here you go. This is the boundaries. Do nothing from selfishness or empty conceit, but with humility of mind, let each of you regard one another as more important than yourself. Don't just look out for your own personal interests, but look out for each other's interests. Have this attitude in yourselves because this is the attitude in Christ Jesus. You take that home, that dog will hunt right there. Treat one another as if they were more important than yourself because that's what Jesus did. He went to the cross for you and me because we couldn't take away our own sins. He could, and he didn't have to. Well, I could rattle on a long time and already did. So I'm going to say this. Whether you're married or not married, whether you want relationships or don't want relationships, you already got one, and that's with Jesus Christ. You are in a covenant relationship, but look around. We need to have boundaries. As married couples, as friends, as neighbors, and in our relationship with God. Don't take that lightly. Tomorrow is going to be better than today if we write out those boundaries and we stay with them. And, but here's the one I think we ought to make. Here's a boundary I want to make. <laughs> Let's be committed to everyone we see today, this week, and for the rest of our life. Because even if I don't know that person, I am in an agape relationship with them. I have already committed to God that I want that person in heaven. Is there an opportunity well, I always have the opportunity to treat them the way Jesus would treat them. I remember Dave Stuchel many times in our prayer time as, as, as our, uh, in our uh, accountability group, he'd say, and Father, say hi to our friends that are with you now, our friends and our loved ones that are with you now. But what could we do for God here? We could treat people the way God wants them treated. All right. Did you get anything from that? I hope you take something home because, frankly, this has kicked my backside all week. So you go home and kick your own. I'll, let me pray for us, okay? Father, for all of us, we want to stand before you with a repentant heart and admit that we've blown it at various times and in various relationships. Thank you that you are the great forgiver <laughs> and that you have set the example of how to forgive and how to start over. So Lord, for us, 
who are your children. Help us in our setting of boundaries with those that we love and with those that we don't yet know. And Father, because of this message and because we have a heart for Jesus and a heart to be like Jesus, would you put people in our path this week that need Jesus and allow us to love them on your behalf. And as Dave would say, would you say hi to our family and our friends that are with you now? We love you, Father, in Jesus' name. Amen.